Hi, and welcome to my um, podcast post on mortgage rates in the U.S. economic cycle. Uh, as I mentioned last time, some of you may just see a link directly to just the podcast, but there's always attached slides that will be available on my website. So click through uh, to see the to see the slides and graphs. Um, so recently we started to see some economic data coming out of the states that was pointing to weakness in uh, or potential weakness in the using U.S. housing cycle. Uh, so I'm just going to talk a, talk about the U.S. mortgage market uh, and how that affects the U.S. Um, uh, economically speaking. <clears throat> So, you know, one of the things that, you know, you should be aware of about the U.S. as an unusual mortgage system, at least compared to the rest of the world. Uh, and basically that system is where if rates, particularly long-term interest rates, fall substantially, uh, people with mortgages get almost a free option to refinance and take cash out quite easily. Um, much easier than you see with, uh, in any other market that I'm aware of. Um, and so one of the ways we can look at the U.S. is look at the um, uh, the average rate on outstanding mortgages. So this is mortgages that people own uh, and compare it to the offered rate. <clears throat> and that is the rates being offered by banks. And one of the things that, um, you know, has been very noticeable over the last sort of 30 to 40 years is that Typically, U.S. growth it does best when the offered rate is below the uh, average rate on outstanding mortgages. So what that means is <clears throat> the average U.S. homeowner, homeowner is looking at the rates and going, "Oh wow, actually I can get a, I can get a lower mortgage payment. Uh, I can lock that in, and in, and in some cases even take out equity. Uh, and, and so it's almost like this natural sort of cash." Uh, ATM that, that could just accrues to homeowners as, as mortgage rates or interest rates have fallen. And so what you get from, from that type of analysis is that, you know, since rates peaked in the late seventies, early eighties, you've had this huge tailwind benefiting the U.S. consumer, um, where they're basically just getting free money from their house. Now, you know, you can take that analysis pretty, uh, a bit further. Uh, when we look, so we look at this average rate of outstanding and the offered rate. And then we look at periods when the offered rate is above the outstanding rate. So that is, you're not getting this sort of free cash handout from owning property. Uh, now what you'll find is it's, it's very rare that the offered rate is above the outstanding rate. It happens briefly in some spikes, like in the early, early nineties and mid nineties briefly and again two thousands. And then we have one period where there was a sustained, uh, period where the offer rate was above the outstanding rate. Uh, that was from 04 through to around 0708, of course, before the GFC. Uh, now, I think that in this case, the offered rate is a slightly uh, not correct in that there was a huge usage of uh, adjustable rate mortgages, which often had zero rate teasers at the beginning and then sort of moved to higher rates later. So I think many people took out mortgages that are at very, very low rates but where it had sort of balloon payments later on, which of course was one of the triggers for the GFC. Now, the reason, you know, in particular, we're talking about mortgages and mortgage market in particular, is we've seen a very unusual print from the University of Michigan um, survey asking people what they think of buying houses at the moment. And what you're seeing is that potential home buyers are thinking now is one of the worst times to buy a house since the early 80s. 
uh, a period when interest rates were, were so close to 18%, the sort of 3 4% that we see now. And again, you know, over the last year, we've seen house prices rise dramatically. So this is a very negative sort of signal. It's sort of saying, you know, hey, guys, we don't really have the money to buy these super expensive houses you're putting up anymore. So that is a, a, a you know, if that doesn't change, uh, either through higher wages or falling house prices, that's a very negative sign. Uh, it would imply much lower house prices potentially. The other thing we can look at here, yeah, and because that is referring to new home buyers, if we look at just the refinancing, what we can see is, you know, over the years, the refinancing has become a very powerful driver um, for U.S. growth. You know, so after the dot-com bubble, uh, when interest rates fell, interest we saw a huge boom in refinancing. There's a lot of home equity uh, release schemes and other things like that. And then after the GFC, uh, we again saw, and it took a while because banks didn't really want to lend against houses very much back then. Uh, it took a while for refinancing to take off again. But, you know, you can see it has a very nice counter-cyclical uh, aspect to it. So in 2020, when COVID hit, we saw a huge increase in refinancing. The numbers here, uh, unfortunately, don't really mean that much. They just give you an indication of where uh, refinancing is going. They're a combination of a number of different indices. But basically, when it's rising, more refinancing. When it's falling, less refinancing. So typically, when you see refinancing drop, you should be a little bit more cautious towards U.S. equities in particular or U.S. growth. Um, and when we look at, so a lot of these indices I've used above are sort of uh, sometimes monthly, sometimes with a bit of lag. One indice that we can use that's very up-to-date is sort of bankrate.com for the year jumbo mortgage rate. I've used a jumbo mortgage rate because it's sort of not a standard one, doesn't compete with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. And actually, is the majority of U.S. mortgages are... Uh, uh, you know, uh, what would they call jumbo, which would be non-conforming or not a uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type bond uh, mortgage. So what you can see is back in sort of 07, 2017 through 18, we saw a mild pickup in uh, mortgage rates. Uh, and for those of you who remember that, it was a huge fall in U.S. equities in Q4 of 2018. Uh, and then the Fed, of course, under Powell, decided that they didn't know what they were doing and, and changed rates again uh, and changed interest rates policies. And what you can see now is in 2022, we've had a big steep sell-off in mortgage rates, a much quicker and much steeper sell-off than we saw in 2018. Um, and again, that is in response to high commodity prices and, and, and uh, inflation pressures coming through. Now, when I look at all of this, and I'm not going to talk about commodity markets in this note, that'll be for another one, is that you know, in my life, you know, usually US consumer has been so dominant and so important, not only through its direct purchases, but also through its indirect trade purchases on its trade partners, is that when the U.S. consumer went to recession, you had a sort of global recession everywhere, and that would always drive commodity prices lower. And so it didn't take much you know, tapping on the brakes for the Fed to engineer lower commodity prices. I don't think that's true anymore. I think the, the Chinese consumer is by far a bigger uh, buyer of commodities um, I think we've also seen, you know, some, some headway made towards, uh, making the Chinese consumer the more dominant consumer. Definitely it's, it's bigger in some markets, autos in particular, but elsewhere. And so, you know, you've got this, this conditions where the, you know, the U.S. is no longer the, the I think, the price setter for commodities. 
And so you're now in this, this period where the U.S. could raise interest rates. It could kill its housing market and not create commodity deflation. And, and what happens then? Do they not bother raising interest rates? Uh, that would be the sort of observation of how the Fed works in the last 10 years or so. They just, they just don't really care about that sort of stuff. Um, but if they do come under pressure to raise interest rates, given the levels of debt the government have and the size of the fiscal deficit, does that even work? I don't know. Uh, to me, it's like, you know, the scenario looks very, very not good. Uh, you know, but, you know, we could be, you know, if the Fed raises enough rates, does it then really affect China and that creates a deflationary pulse? Or are we at the beginning of a transition where the, the US dollar becomes like the pound sterling and just a terrible currency and becomes less and less important to the world going forward? I don't know. We're at an interesting stage right there. And I'm going to write more about that. The only other thing I would like to say is I'm going to start uh, experimenting with adding paid bits to this website. Um, uh, why am I doing this? Look, uh, I, for the last few months, I've been uh, in a period of sort of sorting out different uh, aspects of my life, uh, which sort of meant that I had a lot of free time and I was unable to do various other things. That period's coming to an end. So I need to sort of quantify, you know, what this website does for me and whether it's a worthwhile use of my my time. Should I make it something I use all the time or should I... Just do it occasionally. And that is uh, something I I need to actually get a gauge of whether this adds value to people. And the only way you can really tell is if people pay you money or not. Um, uh, unlike some other sort of uh, substacks out there, what I'm planning to do is have everything will remain free, but for professional investor, investor investors and people who, who are perhaps time sensitive, uh, what I'm going to do is give them early access to my posts, maybe by a week or two weeks, and then I make it free for everyone else who is a subscriber. Um, so if you feel like you don't, you should never pay for a stub, a stub stack or a post, then don't pay. You'll get access, but you'll just get access with a delay. If, however, you, you know, feel like, uh, listening to me adds value, is helpful to you, uh, and you would like me to continue to write stuff, then, uh, I think you should pay me some money. Uh, you know, look, if I decide not to go down this route, I'll refund everything. Uh, you know, that is the way I do things. So, you know, I think, you know, we can see where we go from this. Um, um, and I'm going to start doing that now. The, for me, the idea is that, uh, for, I think the sort of person who should be paying is a sort of professional investor trader who, you know, the cost that I'm looking at is, is actually relatively low like a, a nice meal in London type price. Uh, I think for retail investors with relatively small amounts of money, uh, I, I don't think you can really justify it. Um, uh, for those of you with large uh, pensions perhaps to manage, it might make sense. The only other thing I will offer by uh, becoming a paid subscriber is that I will then uh, are very willing to take uh, suggestions, uh, areas to look at, particularly if you think they're interesting or hard to work out. Uh, I love uh, looking at unusual areas, trying to work out why they look like they do and why they're trading so funny, uh, and then seeing how to monetize that. That is actually what I like doing. Um, you know, and I think there are areas out there I, I haven't seen any for a while. Uh, last few I looked at was shale industry and then clearing houses, uh, also JGBs for a while uh, while they were so low. 
Uh, and so, yeah, if you have areas that you're interested and want me to look at, uh, please, you know, if you're a paid subscriber, I will take that uh, into consideration. I'll probably only publish a note if I do find something interesting, that should be said, but uh, that would be another benefit to you. Um, all right, well, thank you for your time and talk to you later.